Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, this week, we're talking about uh, two shows that are about two different types of relationships taking place in two very different worlds. I think that's a good point. You've got a period drama love story. It just happens to be about lesbians um, in the 1830s in the UK, but based on a real story, which is, I think, what's its real point of difference and makes Gentleman Jack really interesting. And then you've got almost modern day love, don't you? A lot of like internet relationships, long distance relationships, trying to see if they can pass the test and make it to the big time in 90 Day Fiance. So yeah, love at their core. (laughs) Another love themed episode (laughs) It's such a romantic one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your love life, shall we? That's a different podcast. Well, Lex head to America and around the world for 90 Day Fiance. I don't have butterflies. I have an octopus inside of me. We swiped right and I was like, yeah! This is the, the hottest girl I've ever seen in my life. Please be real. Oh, <laughs> A reality juggernaut a real-life soap opera, and a surprising look at U.S. immigration laws. 90 Day Fiancé follows couples through the K-1 visa process, which allows a U.S. citizen's foreign partner to enter the U.S., but only for 90 days, the deadline by which they have to get married. Immigration laws don't often make really good reality TV show format ideas, Ali, but... Oh, uh, but they do. In, in oh, but they case, do. Are we going to be judgy? Are we going to judge on this one? I mean, uh, we're not a review show, but... I think this show is so complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my feelings for this show are so complicated and so varied that it's hard not to have some thoughts. But before we jump in, does this show tonally remind you of any other local reality juggernauts our audiences might watch? Are we talking about Married at First Sight? Yeah. Yeah. But the comparisons to Married at First Sight are there's obviously an impending wedding and you've got the very strong opinions of the family who are sometimes dubious about the motivations of people wanting to get to America slash for love or for other reasons. But I like this one because of the way the format works and the way you follow the stories a little bit more. So it's not always quite as salacious, although you do get some very interesting family blow-ups throughout the story. But we've talked in the past, I think even last week we were, or a few weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and how you've very much got across the reality genre, wearing the many hats and having to be across all types of programming in your role at Binge. But 90 Day Fiance, noisy show. We get a lot of feedback from customers about it. You've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of watching all of it. I have. Are I have one of the biggest fans going around. I have gone down the rabbit hole. I was not familiar with the show before joining Binge. And the name itself doesn't explain what it's about. Why do you have 90 days? Who's the fiance? But it was really, for me, our audience's reaction to the show that sort of sparked my interest in it because to see how many people are watching it but also again not to get too granular one of the metrics we look at is like how much of a show people watch so obviously a lot of people can watch a single show but also a lot of people can watch a lot of a show so what we've noticed especially with 90 day fiance is that like if you start watching the show you watch lots of it like you watch dozens of episodes of it it's a really sticky show i think that's the way the format works as well isn't it because you have to you really have to follow it yeah what makes this show so compelling was like my starting point for this and now having watched what i want to say is hundreds of hours of it (laughs) i can understand why it's so compelling and i also 
until recently, much like not catching COVID, I had managed to not watch maths until quite recently. Oh, wow. How did you catch maths? Friends. <laughs> the same way you get forced to watch a lot of things. Until recently, I was always like, why is maths so popular? Like, how is everyone watching it and now, having watched 90 Day Fiance and maths? I'm like, they're basically the same show. They have the same, like, compulsion to watch. Yeah, well, I actually first came across 90 Day Fiance years ago. I bought it when I worked at Channel 9. And yeah, it was also there when we first kind of brought maths to Australia. But 90 Day Fiance, yeah, we used to have it on 9 now. It was super, super popular. And again, I think it's maybe got a little bit more salacious, but I know Married at First Sight, the Australian version actually gets played on the channel in America where 90 Day Fiance is commissioned and come from. So they've also probably seen the crossover of audiences between those two shows. So it's a really good comparison. Yeah. But 90 Day Fiance, if you've watched hundreds of episodes, does love win in the end? What's the overall vibe? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> That's what I meant with the judginess at the beginning because it's yeah. so hard not to start every episode and go, oh, come on. The final comparison I want to make to maths is that I think like Married at First Sight started out as like a relatively sincere, silly, but sincere attempt at like what would happen if two strangers got married. And it was like a social experiment, but it was kind of just a documentary. Now, of course, it's exploded into this like seven hours a week of soap opera and dinner parties and intertwining stories and spinoffs and all that. 90 Day Fiancé kind of started out the same way. It was this like relatively serious look at, oh, there's this K-1 visa. It gives you 90 days. Often you might be meeting the person for the first time or you've only spent, you know, weekends away with them overseas. What does it actually look like when you now have these 90 days to decide to get married? So I think both these shows started out with good intentions <laughs> to explore sort of an interesting concept, but the nature of love and culture clashes and families and jealousy and all that has kind of turned both of these shows into these very amusing and very watchable sort of reality soaps almost. Yeah and as this is kind of what happens with reality series as they get more famous and more known people come on for different motivations and I agree with you I think the very early seasons of Married at First Sight, there's still a lot of couples that are actually together or have had children or married, you know, Jules and Cam and other people. As it gets into its fifth and sixth and seventh season, you kind of got people coming on probably more for the fame or yeah. Instagram follower kind of motivation. It's the same with 90 Day Fiancé because there are couples that obviously absolutely fell in love on holiday that one weekend in Rome and then had this long distance relationship and got the K-1 visa. And then as soon as he or she was able to move back home, they knew it was the one and they got married and they're happy and they have kids. Unfortunately, that doesn't make amazing television, <laughs> especially the newer seasons and the spin-offs, which we'll explain in a second. There's definitely a lot more drama, but admittedly, that sort of makes for better television. So why don't we quickly explain the universe of 90 Day Fiancé? Yeah, let's do that. So we have five of the shows, five of the sort of spin-offs of 90 Day Fiancé. Obviously, the original is 90 Day Fiancé, which is now up to its eighth season. We also have the spin-off Happily Ever After. So this follows couples that were in the original series now that they're living their lives. I think it's actually Happily Ever After question mark. So it's basically what's the life look like now that they've gotten married and one of them's had to like transplant their whole life to another country, etc. Probably the most salacious and like ratings grabbing of the spin-offs is before the 90 days. So these people aren't married. They're not engaged. They haven't got a K-1 visa. They've just like met online, maybe not even met in real life. And, you know, they're going over to visit for the first time or to meet the family. So it's the most likely to have drama because it's like the least commitment, but also the most likely to have been catfished or lied to or yeah. doing it for fame. It's like, do you even make it through the likelihood hoops to even make it to 
getting engaged. Yeah, I guess in theory, you could go on before the 90 days, <laughs> then go on 90 days and then end up on happily ever after. But I'm not sure couples mm-hmm. made it all the way through that process. Um, and then the last of the spin-offs we have is The Other Way, which is basically just the reverse. So a lot of this show, obviously it's American, but the couples are obviously cross-cultural. So half of them are not from America, but it's very much an American lens. So The Other Way looks at Americans moving to a foreign country to be with a loved one. So it's a slightly different angle, but it's still, you know, about that culture clash and about why would someone leave America to be with this new person and what's the motivations is really love, blah, 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 blah. So needless to say, hundreds of hours of this across those many spinoffs. What I would say is you can basically start at the start of any season of any spinoff. Don't feel like you have to go back to season one, ep one of any of these shows or feel like you have to watch them in any order. Like if you've never watched 90 Day Fiance and just want to start with Happily Ever After or before the 90 Days or the other, like it's fine. You don't have to start at season one because an episode starts, you introduce introduce to couples at the beginning of a season and then you're following their story over the season as they, hi, I'm marrying this person, I'm going to visit them or they're coming and, you know, so then you follow them through the episode. So don't be worried about starting in season four. I think it's just so interesting hearing you talk about this, John, because I do feel a bit like there's a lot of co-viewing on Married at First Sight. I think we're seeing an audience that watch 90 Day Fiance that is couples as well because there's a bit of comparing going on a little bit as well and not just all the love story, it's all of that family drama and stuff as well. So it's quite a noisy fan base but we do hear lots of stories of people watching this with their partners so like i said we've got a whole heap of 90 day fiance on binge including 90 day fiance happily ever after before the 90 days and the other way and we have just dropped the newest new seasons of happily ever after and the other way so plenty plenty to get into I'll be coming to Kansas City to spend the rest of my life with you. We've only spent seven days together, and we're going to get married. Does she really love you for you and not your money? Because you think you know somebody, but you really don't. Oh! Set in 1832 and based on the real-life diaries of the wealthy and independent landowner Anne Lister, dubbed by historians as the first modern lesbian, this BBC HBO co-production follows Anne as she manages her family's estate, Shibden Hall, while documenting her life and affairs in a cryptic diary. I thoroughly intend to live with someone I love. Miss Lister. Miss Walker. Is it wise? People talk. They can't touch me. She can't be trusted. That company of other women. But does she bite them? Have you done this before? Of course not. Ali, we're into the second season of this show and we know how much people love it. I had never heard of Anne Lister before Gentleman Jack came along. Neither. I'm embarrassed to say, but I did find when I first watched this, I was straight on the Googles and like, is it based on a true story? And it is. I think that's amazing. So Anne Lister was a wealthy landowner, albeit unusually as a woman rather than a man because of the way the, the farm came through. The I think she inherited it from her uncle. Yeah, who didn't want to give it to her father, so gave it to her instead. Gave it to her, which meant that she was kind of stepping into quite a, a male role, you know, collecting taxes from people living on the land and all the rest of it, which wouldn't at that point in time in, 18, in the 1830s, very, very much a male's role. But interestingly, she had this diary, five million words that she wrote over her life, which beyond 
chronicling what it was like to be a lesbian during that time. And she had a lot of relationships and ended up having the first unofficial but gay marriage in England. But she wrote in code in case anybody found her diaries and and discovered who she was talking about. But she had one partner that we follow the love story in this series, but there were, you know, other other women as well that she'd had relationships with. But she also talking about politics and history and life in England in a lot of detail as well. So her diaries are super, super interesting, aren't they? And yeah, if you like a period drama, it's a really interesting look at life in England in the 1830s. Yeah, like it's so unique because obviously her sort of wealth and independence gave her a level of privilege that allowed her to explore this part of her life, which... That's at that really time, good shout, yeah. which, you know, but also that's what made her a trailblazer because she had the opportunity to do this and she had the opportunity to document it and she had the opportunity to travel and explore things that other people wouldn't mm. have been able to. Like, obviously, gay people have been around forever, despite <laughs> despite what everyone wants you to think. Um, but it would have just, been illegal. It would have been dangerous if she'd been. No, absolutely. She was living quite openly, wasn't she? But you're saying because she was wealthy and she had power, maybe. Yeah, she, she was a landowner. She had a coal mine. You know, but that's not to d- diminish how much of a trailblazer she was in that in that respect. I did. Mm. I found it really interesting uh, in podcasts and reviews and stuff that she's she is regularly referred to as the first modern lesbian, which I kind of interested into why she ended up with that label, because obviously gay people have existed through all of human mm-hmm. history. And it seems to come down to the idea that the term lesbian really didn't exist at her period in life. And that it was actually only after her death that the word sort of entered the popular vernacular. And the historians kind of look back on her as the sort of first person who really lived a sort of authentic lesbian life that you would recognize today in that she got married she had relationships she was reflective and she saw herself as a lesbian she was clear with her own identity so it's kind of this idea that she was this fully formed self-aware lesbian Mm. that had the opportunity to explore that and prior to that we didn't have the words for it or it was illegal or didn't have the opportunity so yeah I'm embarrassed that I didn't know more about her prior to this show but I'm so glad that the show is sort of introduced me to her through a very entertaining show but also you've been able to get so much history out of it as well yeah and that's why I think it's really interesting because it's a great period drama but then you've got this element to it and it's a person whose life and story deserves to be on screen isn't it and yeah, to your point it's interesting that we we didn't know about her beforehand this is a BBC and HBO co-production and we've just finished the second season so you've got two full seasons to watch and get into if you like this series created by Sally Wainwright who potentially best known for Happy Valley but also did Scott and Bailey and Last Tango in Halifax, and of course, stars binge favorite Saran Jones, who you would know from Vigil, but also Dr. Foster and Scott and Bailey, which Sally Wainwright created. I think she just absolutely embodies this character. Kind of quite a light show, despite the sort of themes and yeah, things. It is, yeah. I was watching it with captions. And I like that it kept describing the music as jaunty music whenever, <laughs> like, because she has this kind of quite forceful, I'm off to collect my rent or whatever. And then down the bottom in captions, it says jaunty music. She's very confident, isn't she? Yeah, she wears a top hat. Like she's in a, it's almost like a female skirt. It's, it looks like a, what a man would wear at the time, except that her trousers are a skirt, but she's yeah. wearing blacks and dark colors she's not wearing like really flowery bodices and things she's wearing shirts and I was reading a woman would have only worn black in like a morning period or yeah. something and you know she really owned this version of herself mm. and the top hat and everything that she wears yeah it's really interesting and the, you know the fact that the townspeople nicknamed her gentleman jack obviously she wasn't 
walking around talking about being a lesbian but it, there was also this implication that you know there was an understanding she wasn't like the other ladies in town yeah I think your point's interesting though about Sally Wainwright as well you know prolific British producer writer and director and they've done a lot together so um, you mentioned those shows but also Unforgiven and a few other series that people will know so yeah really good um, kind of creative chops behind this one and some yeah great performances Chimpton is rich in coal well, well, well. The rivalry is bitter. If he wants to start running with the big dogs, he's going to find out what it's like when they start biting. You're playing with fire. Good. Dinner party recommendations, John. We have had cool drama series with Gentleman Jack with lots of episodes to get across, and you can easily go down the hundreds of episodes of 90 Day Fiancé, but when you come up for air... What else should we be looking out for on Binge this week? The excellent two-part documentary, The Crime of the Century. Within the last 20 years, more than 500,000 Americans have been killed by overdoses. Controlled-release OxyContin would be the drug that triggered the opioid crisis. But what if we discovered that the crisis started with a crime? It is effectively this documentary about these like bad decisions that these pharmaceutical companies made, but it also does this really good job of actually humanizing it and seeing the like devastation that opioids have had on entire towns in America, entire families in America. It ends on like a particular gut punch, but I think is really well done. I'm very glad that Australia has whatever rules it has about not marketing prescription drugs because a lot of this came down to the way that the drugs were marketed in the US and you hear the words opioid crisis or Oxycontin or fentanyl or whatever and you're like oh you think you know about it but yeah until you watch this documentary you don't realize how like ravaging it is and I think the crime of the century title fits the crime because yeah, yeah it's just devastating. I haven't watched this John so I'm actually going to watch this and as a bit of homework and come back and maybe we can talk about it next week as well because I've I have seen it on the carousels lots of times and you're right I was like oh, okay another crime show I don't really want to watch it not realizing that that was what it was about without giving it away is this been fixed now or is this ongoing there is kind of like a legal resolution in the same way the staircase is there's a legal resolution to the end mm-hmm. of the staircase but it's not the end of the story at all yeah. yeah, like one of the just sort of really upsetting parts of the resolution is also just like how much a company can get away with. Companies' decisions can effectively kill hundreds of thousands of people. And at the end of the day, they get a big fine or they get shut down or whatever, but nobody's actually punished for it. Yeah. Whereas drug dealers on the street get sentenced to life in jail, but you know, a company that sells a prescription drug that it knows is addictive and it knows is killing people kind of gets away scot-free so yeah it's fascinating it's directed by Alex Gibney who people might be familiar with he directed The Inventor really good at this kind of storytelling wow okay good one to add to the list two episodes you said yeah it's just a two-parter super compelling yeah the crime of the century thank you well I'm gonna talk about something that I think we mentioned it on the very early podcast episode one or two when we talked about the shows that got us through 2021 and I'm just gonna bring it up again because I think it deserves to be raved about and because we've been talking about Saran Jones I am of course talking about Vigil which is a six-part crime series and if you're looking for something that you can yeah binge watch in one weekend or dive in and, and really get stuck into 
when this came out, it dropped week to week. So it's now available all at once as well. So if this is a show that you heard about last year, but it passed you by, it's definitely worth a look. It's a British TV series. It's actually set up in the waters off Scotland. So lots of Scottish accents and potentially you may need to use captions. It stars Beyond Saran Jones. It has Rose Leslie, who we spoke about a few weeks ago on our podcast as we were talking about the new Time Traveler's Wife, which Rose stars in. So we're fans of Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, of course, also features in Vigil. The hook of this story is Saran Jones' character is a detective. She works in a normal detective role on land Um, but there is a crime that has happened on a submarine and because it's not in international waters it falls under the jurisdiction of the local Scottish police who therefore have to go on and investigate so you've got all the normal whodunit twists and turns of great British police shows with the added interest of it being set on a submarine lots of life and story happening above water as well and just if anyone's interested in saga with the French and the American as we pulled out of an Australian defense contract to build submarines with the French to go into nuclear submarines with America and with everything that's going on at the moment um, in the Mediterranean Sea and with Russia and really interesting really interesting um, setting for otherwise just gripping police drama yeah I absolutely loved it it was easily one of my favorite shows of last year and also just like action-packed god knows how much money they spent on helicopters and submarines and And from the makers of line of duty and the bodyguard so you just yeah you know you're going to get something that's good and compelling so i think it's a good shout out people are always saying i finished a show what something else i can watch and yeah so if you didn't have binge last year when that came out give it a go you're going to let them die this is a staggering act of hostility but we're not at war that is an illusion Okay, this week on Skip Intro, we talked about 90 Day Fiancé. We discussed Gentleman Jack. I suggested you check out The Crime of the Century, um, and Ali recommended The Excellent Vigil, which is also apparently coming back for a second season, right? Yeah, and it's HMS Vigil. It's the name of the ship, isn't it? That's where the vigil comes from, as opposed to lighting a candle and hosting a vigil. Yes. So we can continue to talk about Vigil when season two <laughs> All of these are streaming for you right now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favourite device. I'm John Baum, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates, and we'll be back next week. Bye.